welcome to the Dignity Show. Uh, this week's episode of My Life in Tech, we have Stephen Musoke. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. All right. So, Stephen, like uh, Dutchman, I sent you My Life in Tech. We are putting human faces and voices to some of the innovative startups, investments, uh, policy formations driving the technology sector in Uganda and. Your record speaks for itself. So, <laughs> just a jump off to the first question. I want to, I want you to tell us about your genesis in tech. How did you fall into? How did you fall in love with technology as as an industry? Well, I sort of didn't fall in love with it. It's I sort of landed in it by mistake and sort of ended up unstuck here. Mm. So I met uh, a gentleman who later we worked with for a couple of years. He's called Charles. Uh, we met in 1996. I was in my Essex vacation, so he 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 introduced me to tech, and he told me, "Come, let's talk." Okay. We went, we talked, and he said, "I'd like to give you a job in tech." And being a person who says yes first, well, I said yes, and we met up. And my first job was editing a Unix manual and teaching Unix and troubleshooting modems. That was in '96. So I, I, I tasted tech and I figured, well, <laughs> I love this and there's no... It was like a drug. Got addicted. Addicted in a way. I mean, I was a young, impressionable Ugandan, never touched a computer. And there's all this computer stuff around me, Linux, black screens. I can give a computer commands and can respond to them. So I started dabbling in data management, uh, MS Access. At that time, there was no internet, really. Internet used to come to me twice a year in the form of six CDs downloaded from the internet, which was the serverside.com and a few other Java-based websites. Mm. And so yeah. I, I, I sort of just fell in it and we used to read a lot. Uh, I mean, F1, F1 is your favorite key. I don't know what, if you even know what F1 does. It goes for help. <laughs> yes. And in Microsoft, I read SQL 92, the whole Microsoft book, Microsoft Access book. Land database design the hard way, and it was fun for me. That's that's uh, at the, the end of like uh, ni- uh, 90s, right? 96, and we're talking, I was going to university, so mm. I was in Essex vacation. Okay, so first talk, uh, you hinted something about there was no internet in 96 here in Uganda. I can't let it go without first elaborate more on that point of saying there's there no, no internet. internet in 96. I mean, internet was so expensive, so. The gentleman I was working with, he would, he would travel to the U.S. regularly. And whenever he'd come back, mm. he'd get a list of sites and he would download them onto a CD. And I would browse those on my local computer. So that was all I got from the internet and I read them back to back. Really? Okay, so t- tell us about... I know you have been writing code for, uh, I can't say over a decade, two decades now. Because saying... 96, that's when you got introduced into Linux commands. Mm. So tell us the lessons for from writing code for over a decade plus. And then, quote-unquote, because 10 years down the line, as someone who looks up to you, mm. will listen to this podcast and say, okay, this is what Mr. Musoke told us about 10 years ago. Well, I think writing code is a craft. It is an art. I'm a scientist by training, so... The art piece, I'm very weak, but it appeals to my scientific background. I'm a civil engineer by training. Okay. So all my code is written civil engineering style, as in there has to be structure, there has to be style and so on. First not, principles. First principles, essentially. Mm. And they're best practices that have 
fond over the years. I'm never happy with the code I write, but I live with it. Mm. And I try to improve over time. So it you have to embrace it. I mean, it's not the easiest of things because many times you can spend... It's, it's really problem-solving. I think I have to put it that way. Mm. It's not really writing code. Writing code is, the, is, is, is one part of it, but the beauty with solving problems mm. is, is really what, is, what, is what drives me. I mean, if you see the smiles on people's faces when things click, Mm. It makes, I mean, even you, the smile you get when you actually nail a problem. So it, it's not really about the code we write, but it's how we write it, the process. So I'm a process-driven person. Again, my civil engineering training. Mm. So it is process, there's structure, there's some science, there's some way to go about it. Most problems have constraints, mm. but those constraints are the focus of where creativity comes in. So that creativity in solving a problem that can be solved five, six different ways mm. and actually solving it and getting it out in the field and people actually using it, that I think it, 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 makes, you, it makes you alive. It's like growing plants, really. <laughs> okay, yeah, growing plants. I think you're a farmer also. So uh, you well, on, uh, uh, yeah, somebody said I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a full-time farmer who does software development for a, for a chair or so. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, that's what they say sometimes. Okay, okay. so you, you, you talked about best practices in writing code because mm-hmm. uh, something, that's something I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, conversations around with other devs mm-hmm. and then I've seen the best practices you pick up with time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you, again, go this approach of, uh, learn wrong first, then you get the best practices later. Or you, like this again, the conversation goes to uh, a junior dev coming into someone just getting to learn code. Would you advise them to get the learn the best practices first, so they just go straight into it and pick up whatever they can, suck it up, and learn along the way? Solve problems. Solve problems, then architecture your code using best practices. I mean, best practices is like good manners, right? Uh, Thanks to Corona, everybody's washing their hands, they're washing their faces, and so on. But we've always asked people to wash their hands with soap. So that means now people are used to washing hands. Maybe we're now going to, you know, writing language and bring back some vowels in the texts we get. Mm. But the idea is you cannot disconnect the two. There is, you, you know, like in software development, we say... Security is a first-class citizen. You cannot bolt on security later. Mm. You have to think secure. You have to think performance. You have to think extensibility. All those things. It comes with time where you actually make a judgment on which one to forego. And you should be able to defend that decision. But the idea is a junior dev should not go writing code without a senior dev to guide them. It's like you saying, I'm going to learn carpentry without working under a carpenter. I mean, in software development, it's easy, but mm. you really need somebody to hold your hand. I know it's easy, you know, that there, there all these things all over YouTube and so on, but I think the it's a craft. You need to learn from others in the craft. You need to work with others in this in the space so that you pick up the experience. You don't have enough time to make all the mistakes. True, mm-hmm. I concur with you. So, uh, Mr. Musoki, just uh, this brings us to our third, po- th- third talking point of open source projects uh, versus enterprise-led solutions. Um, I know you've been you work with OpenMRIs. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what you guys do at OpenMRIs and uh, vis-a-vis 
some of the solutions like rocket health we we are seeing down here so i work for so i work in the met program which is a cdc funded collaboration between Macquarie University School of Public Health and University of California, San Francisco. And what we're doing is we're supporting the design, delivery, and rollout of a national EMR, one of the national EMRs. And the idea is it's based on OpenMRS as a platform. Now, OpenMRS, our OpenMRS work is interesting because Uganda has the largest number of implementations, about 1,200 sites. When we told people this in 2016, they said you're crazy and it's not possible. But hey, it's only impossible for those who are not going to do it. Mm. And we, uh, the way I look at OpenMRS is open, open source ethos. I think for me, I'm an open source person. I share knowledge because I've learned more from the people I've shared knowledge with than from the ones I've given. I mean, it's sort of like it's the only way we can build coded in Africa for Africa by Africans. So, again, going back to your question of OpenMRS, it's just a tool. It's like Linux to us. Mm -hmm. Like the way Ubuntu uses Linux and Poop, uh, which is uh, System76, one of my, you know, one of the companies I have an eye on. They take Ubuntu and make it better. Mm -hmm. So we took, we took OpenMRS, wrapped it, and built something for Uganda. Rocket Health is, is, is different because they're in a different space. They're doing telemedicine, e-health shop, lab, and so on. There are some similarities, mm. but there's a lot of difference because here, our core audience is public health facilities and improving care at that level, mm. while Rocket Health is, you know, is doing the same for a different audience or demographic. So again, they're this, you know, they're building software and so on. The two sets are different, but the problems we're being we're solving are the same. Which is the beauty of tech, right? You have two people doing the same thing using very diff- similar tools, but they're solving them in very different ways. Mm. Well, interesting. So again, being uh, again from experience, I'm going to ask you from experience of uh, uh, the electric, the EMR, mm-hmm. the UGMR. You said that over twelve thousand sites, twelve hundred sites, twelve hundred, one thousand two hundred sites. Okay, one thousand two hundred sites. Public health facilities in Uganda. Okay, so how do you see the uh, the reception so far? I mean, we're reaching maturity. So, twenty uh, fifteen, we started some customizations. We're now five years old. Five years old in tech is probably teenage. So it's actually maturing to a point where it's no longer about the sites installed, mm. but the usage, connectivity, and so on. So I see the next five years as now moving from teenage into the early 20s into adulthood. So we're looking at these platforms that we're building mm. actually come and share data. It is, so it's no longer about, so it's evolving. I don't think, uh, so what has happened is we have a critical mass mm. and there's an evolution of some of these things. Obviously, that is a Java XML-based platform. That's what I write during the day. <laughs> I love PHP. Obviously, I have to throw a PHP plug in there. Mm. You know, it, it, having two separate discrete languages is like uh, one of the CEOs I work for in ThorWorks said, if you can hold two different problems, two competing problems and competing solutions in your brain mm. and keep playing with them, you actually end up with, you know, you have to be able to do that. That's sort of like, they're two competing, but they learn from each other. So the idea really is open source is a foundation, mm. take the platform, wrap it, and actually solve your problems. But do it in a way that you can easily upgrade, extend. I mean, Google is facing the same problem, right? They fork the Linux kernel for Android, 
Now they're paying the price because they cannot receive upstream updates. <laughs> Instead of, and me, I'm a big fan of saying, stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm. So if we're doing open source work, feed the giants, feed you core open source projects and evolve around them. If they cannot solve your particular problem fast enough, make sure mm. if you're forking, you have a plan to come back. Because each time you fork, Five years, five, ten years later, you will have to come back home. I mean, we've seen it with Android. We've seen it with so many different platforms. You always have to come back to the core because it becomes too expensive to for you to maintain your fork. It is because now you have to maintain it alone rather than a community that is growing and evolving around it. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. I understand. And so, Mr. Uh, Musoke, um, just a quick one. Let's say you're dropping the middle of a desert mm-hmm. and then okay let's say which programming language would you choose if your life depended on it php like i th- like that's why you don't even have to ask me i eat breathe drink sleep php and the reason it's my first language my first love but it's a scripting yeah. language but also with object-oriented roots add frameworks like symphony laravel you've got a very powerful platform obviously it drives the internet Right, eighty percent of the you know some large percentage runs on Apache, PHP. Yeah, PHP. You have WordPress, you have Drupal, you have Coding Lighter. I mean, if you look at it, PHP basically powers the internet. But then this new wave of JavaScript and everything. Ay ay ay. For me, I'm still trying to do a paradigm shift. Mm. But I am lucky that the current PHP tools allow me to still do my old-fashioned server-generated code <laughs> and bring it to the front end. I mean, it's great, right? Yeah, when you true. have lots of resources, but struggling with NPM every day and stuff like that is mm. not... I mean, you're still doing... The, we're sort of basically... You're doing web development as it was in early 2000. Like, you, JavaScript is... We're reinventing the wheel. We're not learning from what we did at the back. And that's why I love com- uh, companies like Basecamp. Mm, uh, 37 signals because they tell the server-ended code is still here to stay and that's the ethos that is currently driving and you're saying it's okay not to have to build everything from the front end obviously those camps are majorly divided Mm. and i say pick an approach that works for you which you understand but remember the problem in africa is if you have to download 20 megs of JavaScript to render a page, it's not gonna work. <laughs> I have to give you the lightest page, and with the lightest page, I generate it on the server side and just send you just enough HTML. Okay, true. So I mean, I'm caught between the two, so I have to. I'm going to start learning React for, you know, for the next couple of years because mm. one of the front ends we're going to work with is going to be in React. Okay. But still, I I'm still it's 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 still one of those transitions. I've been trying to do a paradigm shift for about. <laughs> A year and a half now. I generally understand it, but I don't believe it. I mean, it, it, it's still, I'm still struggling. But True. yeah. It's a hard conversation. You, you are the strong PHP believer. So, again, uh, quick one on what do you see the future of software development is after COVID? Because right now, like being a dev is hype, it's like top of the list among the trending, uh, let's say, jobs or careers to pursue. In this 2020, so where do you see this going after COVID? I think it's going to be where it has always been going. Mm. Is you're going to have devs, but again, you have to have domain expertise. What is your domain of expertise? Mm-hmm. Tech, tech is and has always been a hammer. It's a it's a skill, 
right? It's not a career. I mean, you can do. It's like we had networking, CCNA. Now Cisco, Cisco. It is now they've been relegated to the fringes, to the back office. So the idea really is that if you're planning to do, if you're planning a technology career, mm. you have to look at your domain knowledge. What is your domain of expertise? So, but by this, do you mean the front end or the back end sort of thinking or domain? Agriculture, healthcare, finance, education. I see. Government. Not one. I mean, I, I subscribe to Gladwell's rule of the 10,000 hour rule. No, no, yes. So just say, just keep gaining these things. I mean, I've, I started work in civil engineering. Okay. I crossed over to financial services. Okay. I did some work in agriculture. I'm currently in health and edutech. Education technology. Yes, education technology. Health tech and edutech, very similar, very different domains, etc. But the idea really is that you, those domains overlap. It's, it's not like one plus one is equal to two. It's like one plus one. It's like 1.1 times 1.1. They, they exponential, they power each other. So the key is domain expertise mm. as you also have technical expertise. So that domain expertise is what gives you I mean, it's, an, edge over. an edge over the next guy. And it opens up new opportunities that you never saw existed because in the domain, you can probably see things from a different angle. So yes, mm. tech geek devs are here. But remember, now there's a lot of competition. COVID has flattened the world mad faster. So whom are you competing with? The Ukrainian developers, the Chinese who are learning English, so it's suddenly, while it's a great opportunity, it's also something for the local tech industry to actually be worried about. Because if we cannot compete mm. at a standard that somebody in the US or, or Europe can Europe. deliver to, mm. then they will come for us. Because after they've eaten the big projects, they'll start coming down. It's inevitable. <laughs> okay. So, Matt, so this, again, you, the, the advice you said about choosing domain of expertise is... Don't choose. Just become an expert in whatever you're doing. If you're currently working, like I think if you're... What's your, your tech? What? No, no, I'm actually a UI UX designer. In what area? Currently, um, how would I put it? Currently, I'm not engaged in any... Okay. Mm, Are you aware of human-centered design? Yes, Are I you do. aware of the current UX practices, things like refactoring UI... UX research. Yes, I, do. I mean, those are the things where that's where the future is mm. because those are that's the science that wraps the art I because it's see. all science. So things like human-centered design. I mean, they're, they're quite a number. I I I, I don't have them off head, but <laughs> the idea is you have to learn the core science in that industry, mm. and then as you keep working with different projects, you find that domain that appeals to you. Remember, the idea is you have to wake up excited every morning. And doing that every day for 10 years, 20 years is difficult. So there has to be some other form of excitement mm. on top of your craft and to, on top of your skill. And the other thing is bring others along the journey. Train exactly. others. Work with younger upcoming because the best way to learn something is to teach it. Exactly. So ideally, as you keep working on these things, work with others who are coming up and generally build the... the how do you call it? Build the village around you. I mean, I'm very African in my thinking, and I say 
the village raises the child, but the child has a responsibility to give back to the village. You don't have to. But if you keep giving back to the village, you'd be amazed at what opens up for future generations. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So again, the kind of thing someone has done for you. Kindest thing. Hmm. Held my hand and just said, you can make it. And I tried to do the same for others. Okay. So who was that? Who did that for you? Uh, that was uh, Charles Mukasa. He introduced me to tech. Okay. And he was a mentor for a long time. Still is. We still talk a lot. But he shaped my quite a lot of my thinking and so on. And by kind, it was, there's a young man, mm. excitable and directing his energy. So I try to do the same for others by continuously trying to replace myself in the work I do mm. with young techies because it gives them opportunities, it opens their eyes. So I try to share my experiences and my journey just to see how to basically inspire others because... You know, it's not easy, but, you know, you do your best to to play the, to pay back. We call it paying it forward. You sort of black pay tax. back. Eh? Black tax. Not <laughs> black tax, really. Actually, I, I don't look at it as a tax. Actually, I look at it as a responsibility okay. for each of us to pay back for the chances and opportunities that we've been given. Mm. I mean, there's some religions that actually demand it, like Islam. That you have to, if you can afford, you have to give it to those who are less fortunate. True. You don't have to wait for less fortunate. You just have to say, I'm going to share, I'm going to blanket the world. And then you see where you take it from there. And many people, you know, whom I follow, whom I listen to, whom I admire, are people who are selfless in sharing themselves and their experiences and their knowledge. It is that it makes the world a better place. True. There's no other way to do it. True. Because same same story with me. Because me, every December, I try to do sites for companies mm-hmm. or, let's say, NGOs or anyone who wants a website for free. You just do it. What you do is buy a domain and hosting maybe for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I do this uh, as just a reminder because my brother passed away in December. Mm-hmm. So I'm building a culture around giving back. Giving back. Exactly. To society. Because now I, might, I will see from website, maybe do mobile apps later. It's, I keep iterating here exactly. and see where it goes. So again, what was the best advice you got when you were starting out writing code? Best advice? Hmm. Huh. Like top of a peak. I don't have. I mean, it's just keep working at it. Okay. Keep, keep working at it. Get it. Get it done. Have a good time while doing it. And keep learning. Keep improving. You have to get better. So I think it's it's those things. I think yeah. it's, it's the fact that you have to get better. You have to keep learning. But you have to solve the problem at hand. That is key. The key is to always solve the problem at hand. Because that's what you're getting paid to do. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, advice to the young lads getting out, getting started. Read. Someone is going to hear this probably tomorrow and hear. Read, ask questions, reach out, try to be better. Okay. Put in the hours. I mean, and you may say, yeah, for young lads, it is, but many of the opportunities are staring you right in the face. Okay. You don't know. I mean, many opportunities, like somebody said, opportunity, many people miss opportunities because they come dressed as work. Nowadays, people want to be an Elon Musk or, you know, everybody's fan is Zuckerberg and so on. However, you have to look around at those people who have made it the good old-fashioned way. The hard work way. The, it's the only way because it's the one that pays off 
over time. And I've seen many, mm. and there are many examples whereby hard work, dedication, focus are the key to actually success. And actually living a good life. By living a good life, it's like you're healthy, you're alive, you're happy with the work you do, you're happy, you're trying to be the change you want to see in the world. Mm. And you're, you're pushing yourself to even be better and make more change. So that, I mean, it's, it's somebody would say, yeah, but Stephen, how do I start ETC? I don't know, but I would say, once you're given a piece of work, throw yourself at it, do it to the best, best you can, point. learn from it, because that's the foundation for your next one. That, the idea is you keep improving over time, mm. but you can only improve if you deliver work. Exactly. Mm. And then go back to the drawing board and see what can do better, what with what you can do better than how you can better yourself. How can you can improve your craft? Yeah, Remember, for me, software development is a craft. It's exactly. a skill. It's like playing football. The best footballers, Beckham used to do 200 kicks after each training match, mm. after doing the training with everybody. Michael Jordan did the same. You're exactly. going to find examples of people, uh, Steve Curry. I mean, all of them mm. trained with the team. When the team left, they kept training. Put in more hours. Exactly. So again, a quick one before you mentioned Jordan and then you mentioned, because now this brings me to the discussion of the soft, soft part of craftsmanship is one thing, but then the soft bit of staying with the team, uh, blending with the team. This also is important in software industry because guys like Refactory, uh, I'm one of, I was a student there last year. Mm. So the, the discussion is uh, writing code is the last bit of problem solving. So there's a whole things which unfold. So first talk to me again from experience, the soft skills, how important is it? Fitting in the team. I mean, you've got a, uh, no important thing has been done by one person. Okay. And this is a, your, your software delivery team is like a football team. Defense, midfield, strength. Exactly. Can you remove one? It's like your hand. And those skills keep changing, the importance keeps changing, but the idea is it's a team. Remember, you're solving a problem. You're not writing code. Okay. Writing code is one aspect. I will not say it's the most important or the least important. It's important. Exactly. But what problem are you solving? Is it a relevant problem? Mm. Is it timely? That kind of thing. Timely. So essentially, you're looking at teams mm. rather than individuals. And even if you're an individual solving a problem, you have to play those different roles for the team. So essentially, <laughs> you, you can't avoid it because you have to play those different roles in the team. So even if you are alone, you have to change the hats. Designer, developer, tester, UI, deploy. UX, deploy, <laughs> etc. So, yeah. Okay, so uh, this is more of like our uh, wrapping up, the last talking point, mm. the landscape of tech industry in Uganda. You've been here since ages. 1996 is like, 25 years ago mm -hmm. almost. So talk, tell to us, what's your point of view? What do you think needs to change? And then the challenges you have seen so far for I mean, past I two think decades. our leaders are not supporting us. And everybody knows that. I keep saying it mm -hmm. and I will not stop. Our government is not helping us. Our elites are not helping us. And the idea really is that boo-boo is just a word that is used. Mm, but you don't see it. local companies solving government-level technology problems. Obviously, you'd say, yeah, you're not at the level of Oracle. However, Oracle didn't start out as Oracle. In 1980, Oracle was just a failed CIA project. Mm. So <laughs> how do you say you're not Oracle in 2020 when those opportunities are not being created? 
I believe there's a lot of opportunity locally, but the government and our leaders and our elites have to embrace it and encompass it so that they can set a fertile ground for the seed for the next generation. It's not only today. Mm. No. It is the future. And how do you do it is simple things. I mean, we're going to... There, there are... It needs a mindset shift. Mm. And it's sort of saying that in order to grow the local tech industry... I mean, there are quite lots of initiatives, but they are all like treating the symptoms. The root cause is we do not have enough practice. We do not have enough people putting their money where their mouth is. And when you do that, mm. it means that if reputations are there, that means people have to live up. Excuses can no longer count. Mm. Yeah, I think that is the place to be. I mean, go to the European Union there. The government is paying open source projects for bug bounties, to fix them, enhance them. And they're using these tools. Mm. I'm not saying we have to build our stuff from scratch. All I'm saying is we should be able to leverage the opportunities that open source provides mm. and should have government-level initiatives. Even corporate level. I mean, look at the big corporates. How many of them are using local technology solutions? Let's not talk about WordPress website. Right? <laughs> That's not... Let's look at their back office, back end. Mm. The solutions exist. Yes. But the opportunities are not provided locally. Mm. Everybody's talking about hackathons and startups. I think we're past that. The future is going to actually show that those do not take things anywhere because they are not the long-term investment required for the health of a local tech industry. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we, we see it and we'll keep saying there'll be, you know, a few companies that come up, but they will still be tied to those hackathons. I mean, they're hackathon specialists. But what are we doing about core software delivery practices mm. in-house? Well, we're talking about CI, CD. You know, everybody's talking big data, no SQL, but people are using MySQL and PHP to scale up sites with millions of records. Gumroad, by the way, runs on PHP. Mm. Yeah, there are many sites. So... What are we saying? What are we doing? I mean, I'm a big fan. Like now I have an interesting battle with Yunra mm. that is refusing to release data. And every two weeks I have an automated reminder to follow up with them mm. publicly. Mm. And they're not. And the idea is this is public data. Release it in the public domain. We, I think government has something like open data or something. Where? Like that. Where is it? Where is it? I don't know. It's okay. lip so service. How do we facilitate Facilitate that conversation there. We're not going to facilitate. We're going to keep pushing for it mm. till it comes out. Okay. Yeah, but the idea really is that, yeah, people have to up their game. I don't think this stuff of, you know, just saying, just paying lip service is enough. Mm. Yeah. Rubbers hit the road. So <laughs> it's time for us to wake up and actually show what we've got. True. true. Uh, thank you. I'm uh, Samsoke. Mm. The yeah. pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. All right. Yeah. All right, guys. This is the Denied Show. Catch you guys next week.